Good morning. Uh, my name is Chris Causey. I am the lead pastor here at Encounter Church, and I'm glad you're here. It's an incredible day. We're in the midst of a four-week series. At Encounter Church, we will take an idea or um, maybe a conflict or a point of tension in our lives, and we will, over the course of four weeks or five weeks in a month, we will take a look at what God has to say about that specific issue, tension point. We'll unpack it, spend four or five weeks um, just looking at it from different angles. And this is a, the month of love, right? This is February. And um, so in the month of February, over the course of this month, we're unpacking relationships. Now, one of the things that I've said even last week was that recognize for some of us, we're in different stages. Some are single. Some um, are working through a tension point right now in your relationship, whether you're married or dating. And for some of us, we're coming through a divorce or on the backside wondering if you're ever going to love again. And that this series is meant to, to affect all of our lives because relationship dynamics are the same. No matter what specific relationship, the dynamics of relationships are the same. The love thing just compl complicates it a little bit more. There's a little bit more emotion. There's a little bit more tension. There's a little bit more expectation. But the same reality, the same dynamics that will make your relationships with love better are going to make your friendships better are going to make your relationship with your coworkers better. And um, so we're, if, you, if you didn't kind of catch in last week, if you weren't here, this is your first time, um, this week on our app um, in iTunes, we'll have last week's message up. And so you can watch the entire service last week or you can just listen to the message. But I would encourage you to go back and check into it because what we did last week is we kind of laid the groundwork and said, um, we need to grow in our love. We need to really define what love is if we're going to have a conversation about love. And that sets the stage over the next three weeks of really diving into our relationships and looking at it primarily through three different distinct lens. One is through our past. Um, one is through the present, which is next week where we'll talk about conflict and how do you fight in a way that's fighting for the relationship, not fighting and destroying the relationship. And then what does it look like um, with the last, series, the last week of the series to go for the long haul? Because no one stands in front of that person and say, man, I really hope we don't work out. I really hope that in about seven to eight years I destroy this thing and that we hate each other for the next few decades. Like no one writes that on their life goals list, right? But the reality is, is that um, that getting to the end of your life and having that, that person there with you in a relationship that has been vibrant and growing, you don't drift into that. That's a hard thing to get to. And over the last, that last series, we're going to talk and unpack that. Um, what I want to do today is really dive into that first lens of the past. Um, some of you, for those who've been here before, you've kind of heard me share a little bit of my story. I worked with students for about 10 um, plus years. And I was a student pastor. It was a fairly uh, large uh, student ministry. And one of the things that we did then that we still do now as a church is we did community service projects. And um, even as a student pastor, I, I believe the students should see that their lives were meant to be for people, not about what they could get from them. And so uh, one of those ridiculous ways of accomplishing that was to take 70 middle school and high school students to New York City to do community service projects throughout New York City. Um, we would just break into different groups, do inner city work. In some really um, poor areas, we would do work along some churches doing community events and some more middle-class arenas. And through the midst of that, we, we learned some things about logistics. Taking 70 or 80 middle school, high school students to New York City is quite a feat, and it's terrifying. 
And so one year, we, we were, as we were getting better processing through it, we were like, you know what? The finances could be cheaper if we brought our own cook. And so we had this facility rented with a kitchen. And we are like, let's bring our own cook. We could cut the cost for the trip so we can have more students come. And so we decided we are going to fly because there was such a drastic cost difference. We didn't have to take a bus. It was cheaper to fly. So I'm really concerned. Because I'm thinking all the conversations I have with parents with, um, yes, your son is currently in federal custody because of TSA or some statement that was made. So I decided I put all my leaders kind of dispersed through the group, and I was going to be the last person to walk the group through TSA. And with each student that passes through, and then there's, of course, those students that you aren't sure are going to make it through because you're like, what did they pack? Right? With each student that passed through, I'm like, Phew. Okay, and when, then we get to the last two, and they're leaders. They're the oldest ones on the trip with us, and wife makes it through, and then husband starts to go through, and beep, 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 beep. They bring him back, pull something out of his bag, take something off of him, send him back through. His bag goes back through again. TSA agent brings him back. They get something out of his bag again. I'm like, oh my goodness, I wasn't prepared to call a 60-year-old mother and say, hey, uh, like your, your son is in federal custody because he is smuggled, trying to smuggle illegal, illegal items onto an airplane because this is his carry-on. And these are significant things that you're like, why is that in there? <laughs> right? This is a 60-year-old man I'm having this conversation with. So we finally get through, make it to the airplane. We sit down. We, we shuttle them through the um, subway system. Everything's smooth, then we get, um, they're settled. We walk into the kitchen and the conversation with the cook and I, and we're starting to process logistics for the week. And he says, um, we start laughing. And I was like, man, I wasn't sure you're gonna make it through. I just gotta be honest. And we we're laughing about it because I was like, I was concerned um, the, the middle schoolers weren't gonna make it through. And so we're laughing and we're joking and, and he's kind of pivots and we start talking about cooking and he pulls out his bag that he had with him on the plane and he's like, oh yeah, let me, let me take care of that. And he pulls out scissors. And, and I know that this may not look big, but this is what I saw when he pulled it out. Because I was like, what in the... You brought that on a plane? And he's, was this wrong? Like, yes, that's wrong. That's illegal. You don't bring something. But in my head, this is what I'm seeing, right? Because, like, this is what a TSA agent would have seen. But in the midst of pulling all the other illegal contraband out of his luggage, they missed this dagger, right? And in the midst of doing that, um, I realized some things that went far beyond just uh, packing for a trip. I think there's a reason that in relationships, we call what people smuggle from their past into the present baggage, right? And that many of us can connect with the fact that we think our dating, we think in our vetting process, that if, if I do a good job in dating, I'll catch all of the little tiny things. And that for some of us who have had conversations with, some of you get into a serious relationship and in the midst of all the vetting, you were just like that cook. There's some things you found and you worked through, but then about three years into the marriage, something else shows up. And you're like, where did that come from? And it got smuggled in. See, all of us bring baggage into our relationship. Baggage isn't something that we're exempt from. It's not all bad. 
Some of it's good. But every one of us, when we step into a relationship, bring our past with us. That our past, yours and theirs, is, is really important to the future of your relationship. Right? And banks get that. Employers get that. Utility companies, cell phone companies, they all understand that the best predictor of your future is your past. They, all, they screen for it. They ask questions. They run credit checks. And all of this is about if I look at and I'm diligent enough about researching their past, it'll help me figure out what they're going to do in the future. Because the best predictor of your future is your past. But I think sometimes in relationships, we forget that. We, in the midst of love, and we're the exception, because everyone's love story is the exception to the rule. Right? Well, he doesn't have a job, but we love each other. I remember my wife's father taking me to dinner when I asked permission to marry his daughter. I was a little old school in that regard, and said, I would really like your, um, I'd really like your blessing. And I was in grad school, and he said, um, you, you don't have insurance. What are you going to do if she gets pregnant? We, we love each other. It's not a problem. We've got love. And he's like, but you don't have insurance. That's a problem. Like, we've got love, right? We all think that we've got love, and that makes us the exception. We love each other. I, I, I know that he's never finished anything a day in her life, in his life. But we've got love. And what ends up happening, completely ignore the past. But I would argue that the unresolved past will always be present in our relationships. And that if we don't work through our past, our past will continue to work through us. And Solomon, who is one of the wisest men who have ever lived, knew that. He understood that. And in the midst of writing a book that was essentially a parenting um, guide, a collection of phrases and statements that he told his sons growing up, the book of Proverbs, he gives this one simple statement, just a handful of words that was just loaded with implications and meaning. It's a, it's a proverb that I think, while it could apply to multiple areas of life, the areas of relationship and baggage, it, it's actually really helpful. It's Proverbs 14.8. If you have the Encounter Church app and the sermon notes, it'll already be loaded for you. Um, if you don't have um, that with you, we're going to have it on the screen. But it says this, that the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. But the folly of fools is deception. Here's what I love about Proverbs is if you read the, the introduction to the book of Proverbs, it tells you that part of the challenge of a proverb is that on the surface, it may seem so general it has no particular meaning at all to anything specific. But a proverb, according to the introduction, is meant to be thought about. It's meant to be processed. It's meant to be reflected upon because a proverb is like a riddle. The truth is hidden inside of it so that you have to think about it. And the more you think about it, the more you see its application. And that some of my favorite Bible passages... Some of the most helpful passages for me in my life come from the book of Proverbs. I, I didn't grow up in a household where I got a lot of wisdom from a father kind of role sitting down. And so for me as an adult, I, I go to the Proverbs regularly 
just circling things and being like, okay, today I'm going to think about this one. And as I go through my day or as I go through my week, I find different application points or different areas where it comes true. And this one, I think, really does, it's, it's very similar. The more you dig into this, the more you reflect on it, the more you realize its implications, specifically to this area of past. In fact, I think as we process through this proverb, we're going to find that there are two critical things that you and I have to do if we're going to become aware and start to break free from our past being present, working through us in our um, relationships. The first thing he says is that the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. So you, you see in this um, um, proverb two distinct groups. You've got the prudent and you've got the, the fool. Right? And the prudent is just a fancy word. Someone who's forward-looking, they're wise, they're processing, they, they know where they want to go. And, uh, and so the, the prudent is kind of held up as an example in the book of Proverbs. It's what Sol- Solomon's telling his sons they should become. And there's oftentimes the anti-vision of what to become, which is the fool. Of like, this is what, if you don't do this, this is what happens. This is the other side, the foolish side. And the, the first principle is where he says, give thought to their ways. He's like, look, here's the wisdom point, what the prudent does. The prudent reflect on their life. They reflect on where they've come from in the midst of where they're trying to go. I would say it this way, that in the area of relationships, specifically regarding our past, that we have to recognize that there is a default that we all bring into our relationship. You and I all have a default setting. And that our default setting for relationships, right, you don't walk into any relationship neutral. You bring with you your past. And inside of your past is a default way of doing things relationally. And I would say that there are two critical components inside our default setting. That our default setting comes from what was caught from the example of our parents and what we were taught from experiences with other people. And that those two are the parallel tracks in which this, this relational train called our default runs on. What we caught, your, your mom, your dad, right, never sat you down and say, I want you to realize that... Um, People aren't trustworthy. Right? They, they, they never said, hey, I want you to understand the way you deal with conflict is passive aggressiveness. You just caught that. You watched it. It was the example. And you mimic it. And then as you move out of home and you get out on your own, then you start to have these experiences with other people. And those experiences with other people begin to teach you some things. Well, I guess I'm just, it's just me. And no one else is going to take care of me. I'm on my own. No one else is going to care about what I care about. And you, you start to kind of put these things together, and they slowly start to creep into our lives and become the default. And what, what ends up happening is that if you could kind of peep in, I would say that the simple gist of it, if you were to peep into your relationships, and it is a little bit like this, trying to break in, that uh, you realize that your default is, I think, in three different arenas. The first is in the area of assumptions, right? We all bring this into our relationship. We have assumptions that we caught and that we've been taught. Well, you know what? Um, I watched my dad. I watched how he walked out on me. And I, I guess you just can't depend on people. People aren't trustworthy. People are going to let you down. So I've got to keep my guard up. And that, you go into this relationship with assumptions that they just don't last. 
because you watched your parents go through a divorce or because you were abused. You, you internalized a distorted picture of relationships. And that those things are caught. No one ever sat you down, took notes, and said, here's what you need to realize. People will let you down and walk out on you. But you caught it. And those assumptions go down and, and start to affect how you operate. They start to affect how you interact with people. And it's not all faulty or, or damaging assumptions. Some of them are healthy assumptions. We all bring assumptions into our relationship. We all have unspoken expectations that we bring into our relationship. Most of the time, the disappointments we experience in our relationships, the frustration in our relationships, are about these unspoken expectations or these unspoken assumptions that we just thought would play out or not play out. And conflict arises because they bump up against this invisible thing called the assumptions. Henry Winkler, for all of his um, impact on life, the one statement that he said besides A that I think is most profound is this, that assumptions can be the termites of relationships. Right? That many of us have experienced where the unspoken, the, the assumed, starts to erode the relationship. And that if we're going to work through our default, that we have to realize it's not just our assumptions, but that our assumptions start to color our attitudes. You grow up in what you get caught, and then what happens to you, and what you get taught, starts to color your attitudes in life. That in, you have enough people treat you certain ways that you become unforgiving and distant. You're like, man, people are just out to break my heart. And you go into your relationship with this attitude, with this bitterness, holding and clinging on to, trying to preserve. We, we've all met people who are distant in relationships, and it's that they're, they're bringing all of the past brokenness into it. And there's this attitude of just distant, because I, if I get too close to you, if I let my guard down, you, you might hurt me. I might not be able to make it through. Or jealousy, right? If you, you watch, maybe you caught your parents and... There's an element of literally you caught one of your parents. I was dealing with that this week of someone who found out their dad's having an affair and they read the text message and they're processing what to do with mom because mom doesn't know. And here's a 16-year-old girl who's concerned she's going to be the reason that she breaks up her parents if she says something to her mom. I'm like, that's, that's not your fault. But that, that, that affects and that'll carry into her future relationships. And this attitude manifested through jealousy of where were you last night? Well, let me see your phone. What were you doing? You, you, you don't trust people because you're not sure they're trying to trick me. Are they trustworthy? Or maybe it's just bitterness. It's, maybe it's a health. Maybe you trust, you're, you're trusting. You grew up in a healthy context and you saw two parents that loved each other and you, you've had positive dating relationships and you really do. You have the benefit of the doubt you give people. You're, you're sincere and trusting to them and you're like, you bring this healthy attitude into relationships and you're like, I don't understand the person I'm dating because I've never done anything. But there's suspicion and there's distrust and I can't figure it out. Or maybe you're in a relationship and you see passive aggressiveness. Someone grew up in a home and what they got caught was people not dealing with conflict. If there's conflict, we're not going to talk about it. It's going to stay underneath the surface. 
We're going to let it kind of simmer for a week. And then one day I come home and mom and dad are okay again. Right? Or everybody seems all right. I don't know what happened. They never talked about it. It just kind of lingered underneath the surface. And you caught that. And you bring that same passive-aggressive attitude in the way you interact with your partner now. And that you don't want to talk about it. You, you want to avoid it. But it still sneaks out. And then ultimately, that our attitudes, because they will, they start to affect our actions. And this could be positive, healthy, the way that you, you I call it and taught encouragement. Like I just get that you should affirm one another and you should encourage someone and you should build them up. And that's just my, that's the way I'm going to do it. That comes out of my assumptions and my attitude. My action is I'm going to be encouraging with my words. Or it, it may be demoralizing speech or verbal abuse because that's what you grew up with. Or maybe because you grew up with nothing, all you have is the supposed actions of the exact opposite. You're like, well, I don't know what it looks like because I didn't have a healthy picture, but I'm going to swing to the opposite side. So that means my actions, because I'm so afraid of conflict, I'm going to run over my partner every time there's an issue. Like a good friend of mine who, early in their relationship, he was so determined that they were never going to have conflict that gets unresolved, that he would beat down the door and remove the door from the hinges in order to have the conversation with his spouse who was hiding in the bathroom from him. And I mean, but I'm, we're not going to have conflict. And that these come out of these default actions. And maybe it's, you have to be right. Right? You always have to be right in every argument. You can never be wrong. Or maybe you're okay with being wrong, but you've got to have the last word. And it's like, all right, we're done. But, 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 but. You've got to slide it in there because you've got to justify it. Oh, I'm not, I'm just clarifying. I'm just trying to understand. But that default of I've got to be right, I've got to get the last word, or it's just selfish actions. What you call, what you were taught is it's all about me. And I'm the king of this castle, I'm the queen of this castle, and everything revolves around me. And you bring that into your relationship. That all of us bring this stuff, it's baggage. And you may be thinking, well, I'm only like that because of them. Maybe, maybe I hit a, a nerve. But here's the thing I want you to realize. Um, you're not like that because of that person in your life. Um, a bridge can have a hairline fracture. And people can walk across that bridge every single day. But the moment a large truck drives across it, the bridge collapses. The bridge didn't make, that truck didn't make the bridge collapse. It was already unstable. It already had the weakness there. It just took something heavy and significant to expose it. And love relationships are significant things. And these defaults that we may be able to, to manage and to keep hidden from most people, when it comes to something as significant as your spouse or your children, your defaults get exposed every single time. And it's not their fault that it was exposed. It's, it's yours. It's, it's been there all along. But see, that's where the deception comes in because what happens is if we're not aware, we start to shift our focus off of this and we blame the other people, because that's their fault that I'm like this. Well, if they didn't make me so mad, I wouldn't fly off the handle. 
Right? It, well, if they were willing to deal with conflict, maybe I wouldn't have to be passive-aggressive. It's like, no, you have a default setting, and all they're doing is revealing it. But deception keeps us from seeing it. And so what do you do with the default? Well, the idea that he uses the word ways is, I think, significant. Because ways implies movement. Ways implies direction. See, here's the thing about defaults. If we don't resolve, process, and recognize our defaults, then we will continue to repeat them. And some of you, you can look at your relationships and you can see that. You, can, you see a pattern. And the pattern isn't because of them, it's because of your defaults. And so what do you do when you recognize your defaults? Well, you have a choice. You can repeat them or you can replace them. But most of us, we fall into this trap of deception and we say that, you know what? I'm going to promise my way out of the past. Oh, we're just not working. You know what we need to do? Let's move in together. Well, we're not working. You know what we need to do? We need to take our relation to the, Let's get married. Our marriage is struggling. We need to have kids. And we double down. And we expect that somehow in doubling down, it's going to somehow, we're going to promise our way out of the past. And you can't promise your way out of the past. You repeat the past if you try to promise your way out. But all of us have fallen trap. I've fallen trap to it of, of saying, I will never, babe, I'm so sorry, I'll never spend that much again. I'll never drink that much again. I'll never go there again. I'll never talk to her or him again. We, we make promises. But promises are not powerful enough to overcome the past. Promises don't move us past our past. Decisions do. That we have to realize that there has to be an intentional replacement. And here's a subtle study that I think points to this. Um, there was a massive um, study done on customer service call agents. Because believe it or not, that's a really, um, that, that's a high turnover job. And so they were trying to figure out why is there a small subset of customer service agents who somehow seem to rise above the fray? They're happier with their job. They stay longer. They seem to, to have better ratings from people who interact with them. And you think about it, These people are doing one of the most difficult jobs. They're not the reason the company has made the mistake. They're the person who's answering the phone, getting blasted with all the reasons that their company who's paying them is just the worst company ever, after they've been on hold for 35 minutes being told that we value you, right? Oh, we value you. We're going to make you hold for 45 minutes. And then this poor person picks up the phone. You're frustrated. You're angry. You, you're contemplating going and creating another cable company because you want to stick it to Verizon so bad. You're like, man, if I had enough free time, I'd start another one and I'd bring them down. Right? And they get all the fury of it. And yet, there's a small group of them roughly 20-25% that seem to do better than the other 75%. And so they, they set out to try to figure out what it was that they did that made them so unique. And they kept, they kept diving deeper and deeper and deeper into their background, into their training. It, it wasn't just one company. It was this group across every company. They're like, what in the world makes them different? And then one of the researchers had this crazy idea to say, well, we collected every data point we can. Let's look at the computers and the technology they used. 
And so they start to, to dive in, and they notice this weird, weird trait that they all had in common. They almost wanted to kind of dismiss it, but they kept seeing this pattern in all of this group. And the pattern was this, that they had a different browser on their computer than what came default installed when they were given it at their job. And that realization that this subgroup had a different browser led them on the path to realizing that the reason people were able to be happier in their job, took less sick days, got higher customer service ratings, wasn't because they used Firefox or Chrome. It was because they brought a mindset in that said, if I don't like the default, I don't have to be stuck with it. I can re replace it. And they would go on their own and download a new operating browser, like a, a new Internet Explorer. And I think Solomon was picking up on what took those researchers thousands of data points to discover. And that the, the wisdom of the prudent is that they give thought to where they've come from and where they want to go. And that you and I can make a difference and make a choice, not just to repeat our past, but to replace it, to replace the defective parts of our past for something better. That's God's intention for relationships and marriage, is that we would become better together. That if you're willing to go into the relationship, the same mindset that those computer um, customer call agents had of, you know what, I have a choice. Just because this is what I got dealt doesn't mean I have to deal with it. I can do something about it. The, the fool just says, well, I can't. I'm stuck. But the prudent says, I have a choice in what I do. Now I recognize that maybe you, you feel that tension point, and you're like, well, I would love to replace what I caught and what I was taught. But I'm not sure how to move past my parents' divorce. I'm not sure how to move past an abuse. Because I recognize that what we bring in our relationships are heavy and significant. But here's my encouragement to you. You're not sitting in a counselor's office. You're gathered together in the presence of a church with a God of the Bible, the God of this church, whose specialty is replacing people's past and exchanging the old for the new. Well, if, if you've ever kind of made a commitment at the beginning of the year to say, I wanna, I'm going to read the Bible this year. That, that like, excited, I'm going to dive in, not sure where to start. For most of you, you've probably found yourself in the place of getting to chapter after chapter of chronologies. Right? And you're like, what in the world? And it's page after page after page after page of this person had this person, and this person was the father of this person, and this person was the father of this person, and this person was the mother of this person. And you're like, what? I, I can't do this. Right? And you just, it's chapter after chapter. But here's, the, here's what's incredible. There's a reason God liked chronologies. There's a reason that the first book in the New Testament, the very first opening chapter about the storyline of God's hope on earth, Jesus Christ, starts with a chronology. It's because if you flip through the names of those chronologies, what you discover are there are people who should have never been in 
the chronology of the perfect Savior of the world. Men and women whose lives were broken, who came from broken homes, who had made stupid, stupid decisions. And yet somehow, in the midst of their storyline, there was a moment where they were pushed themselves away from the computer and said, I don't have to do this anymore. And they cried out to God, saying, God, help me replace the old with the new. I'm done with repeating it. And in the midst of crying out to God, they discovered that he is able to replace and to give us the freedom to not live just repeating. That's why I love the chronologies. Yeah, they can be a little overwhelmed, but every single one of them is a testimony to a God who is able, who sees bigger than our lives. And maybe some of you have walked in and you're like, I am so trapped. My, I don't just have one bag. I've got bags of stuff that I brought in from my past. And I'm telling you that we have a God who, who can take the brokenness, who can take the mess, and turn it into this beautiful message that one day you tell your grandchildren. Right, right now, my grandmother is on her deathbed. And um, the thing that's profound to me, even because this is deeply personal, what God has done in my life, what Jesus has done to me, um, I grew up in an incredibly broken home. And uh, I've shared, you know, my dad walked down on me before I was born, and um, I, I hated Father's Day, I hated Grandparents' Day, because I never wanted to tell anyone about those people in my life. And I grew up saying, I never want to be like that. And I looked at my wife um, earlier in this week, and we're, you know, we're talking about my grandmother. And, um, and there was a lot of brokenness in her life that filtered down. I said, you know what's incredible to me is our daughter was sleeping in the next room. I said, she'll never have the stories of her grandparents that I do. On Grandparents Day or when people are sharing their stories about how, how much they love their grandparents and I didn't talk because I didn't want to talk about mine, she will. She'll talk about her nana. She'll talk about her papa. She'll talk about her gaga. She'll, how they're her most favorite people in all the world. And what's incredible to me is that that storyline is exactly what God can do for you. Just because you've experienced it in your past does not mean you have to smuggle it into your future. And that God can take the brokenness and exchange it for something beautiful. And maybe for you, you're not sure where that starts. I would invite you to join a life group with me that we're going to start next week um, called Conversations. And it's just processing through the basics of faith. And if you're a seeker, a starter, returner, you're confused, you don't know what to do, this is a perfect place to begin. For some of you, the, the Becoming Better Together begins with stepping in to a life group with some other people. Maybe even as a couple and letting other people see things because... We, we can live blind to the baggage in our past. But we don't fool other people. They see it. And that you bring that spirit of humility and what starts to happen is they can help you become better together. That's the beauty of community. And that if we're willing to process our past, to choose to no longer operate out of the default setting and just keep repeating it, we're willing to call out to God 
Help me replace it. Invite others in our lives to help us start that journey of replacing. Then what we find, what we can find, is that this month of February really can be a month that you and I begin to love. Let's pray.